Hey y'all, thanks for tuning in to this episode of King Outdoors Podcast. Here on the podcast, we have a guest speaker, Coda. Go check him out on Instagram, Knights of the Apex. I hope you guys enjoy. Stay tuned. All right. Coda, are you there? I'm here, Ben. <laughs> okay, cool. It's working. All right, guys. Here we have Coda, also known as AJ. So we're just going to have you introduce yourself here, AJ. Hey, thanks for having me on, Ben. Yeah, so my name is AJ. I run the Instagram and YouTube and website Knights of the Apex, uh, also known as Coda for short. Uh, and uh, it's uh, mostly an archery gear page. We just uh, produce uh, a lot of content to just get people excited about uh, working on their own equipment and uh, just get out, shoot their bows, and uh, hopefully uh, get some hunting in. Cool. Well, since you brought up bows and stuff, I'll ask you what kind of bow you use first. Yeah, so right now uh, I'm currently running a 2021 PSC Expedite. Uh, it's, I'm staring at it right now. It's uh, a 33-inch axle-to-axle bow, 70-pound uh, draw. I'm at 20 – or sorry, 70-pound uh, uh, draw weight. I'm at 20-and-a-half-inch draw, and uh, it, that thing is pumping out a 450-grain Easton Bowhunter arrow at uh, right around 295 feet per second. So I've uh, – I got this. Uh, I got this bow a couple months ago, and I've been loving it. I, I got to take two deer with it uh, this past season. I love it. That's really cool. I saw. I saw you made a video on the, the Prime Nexus. Do you like that bow or or not? I do. I like that bow a lot. Right. Right now, and all of the the flagship bows, I think, are just absolutely awesome. It, it's really just finding the one that I think you're most comfortable with and suits your needs the most. Right. So for me, my two, like the style of bows that I like the most right now, the last couple of years have been the PSE and the Prime. And uh, the PSE gets the edge, in my opinion, just because I like their cam cycle a little bit better. And uh, and just some of the features and the grip in the past was was really good. But that new Nexus bow, I think that new grip design is phenomenal. And uh, those Primes really lock out when you're at full draw. I think they're, they're a really awesome probably the most well-balanced hunting bow on the market they're uh, they're another great option yeah i i've been looking at the nexus it seems like a lot of people have been saying a lot of good stuff about that new uh grip that they have so uh what, what kind of release do you shoot as well so i am shooting a uh right now i bounce around a little bit but um between the the knock on silverback and the knock to it uh but i've been using the knock to it especially for whitetail season i just like having that that trigger um you know sometimes you got to uh got to get that shot in that window real quick uh and i'm running that with uh it's a it's a new thumb peg trigger design that uh, i actually designed with quattro archery um, they're out of South Africa. They make the stabilizers that I use also. And uh, we designed a, a thumb peg together that we'll be releasing to to the public in uh, January. So that that the way I shoot my release is it's almost like a hinge. Like I just I wrap my thumb around the the trigger and then I just slowly re- release the tension of my index finger till the thing fires. So that kind of helps me avoid punching that trigger. Um, you know, when you get target panicky, but. Uh, but yeah, that's that's what I'm running right now. How about yourself? Uh I'm actually I used to be I used to was or ah geez, sorry about that. I was just shooting that knock two release for a little while. Then I didn't like it, so I never actually bought that release. 
but then I, I switched over to a true ball max pro floor. I think it's called. Okay. And I've been shooting that and I like it. So, but yeah, the silver back you had, that's very similar to the knock two, right? Yeah. Ergonomic wise is similar. The, the function of how it fires, uh, is, is quite a bit different. So like where the thumb peg is, that's actually a safety. So you have to, it's a back tension release. So what happens is that when you pull down on that trigger, it stops the release from firing. And then when, because there's, there's a spring activated sear, that's what lets the, the arm fire. So you build up pressure on there and it's set to a certain weight that it'll break. So you have to have your finger on that safety. So when you're pulling back, you know, 60, 70 pounds, whatever it is that the, the release doesn't go off. And then when you're at full draw, you're only, whatever your holding weight is, you set the release. So it's just a little bit heavier than that. That way, all you have to do is let off that safety and pull through the shot. So I, um, I used that for most of the year because I had a really bad case of target panic last year and I just made a bunch of terrible shots um, on animals. I never had issues at the range, but on animals, I was just getting real panicky. Um, and so I, I used this silverback for, uh, for just small game hunting and then I, I uh, shot my black bear with it. And then for whitetails, I moved over to the the knock to it and knock on wood. It seems like I've gone through uh, those target panic issues, um, you know, but I'll bounce back and forth between those two releases just to, to keep me on my toes. Okay. So on that silver back, when you like, say if you pull back on a deer and you weren't, you're not able to put the shot off, you just hold the release while you put it down, like while you let down. So you've got to put your thumb back on the, the safety and press it and then let down. Otherwise, if you just go to let it down in, as you let down that, that weight is going to pick back up again when you come off of that Valley, right. When you're off of that let off and it's going to fire on you. So you have to put your finger back on that safety when you let down. Oh, I see. I see. Yep. So, uh, next question I have for you here is, what guy you went to hunt in and how old were you when you first started? I, so my, my, my whole family were hunters, like going back as long as we know my, my family, uh, my grandfather immigrated over here from Italy and uh, his father was, was a hunter. He was like, we came from a small little village in Southern Italy and, and they were legendary hunters over there. They would hunt uh, back then. They actually had animals. Now there's like no animals left in Italy, but, um, they'd hunt everything back in the day. And then uh, my grandfather was a big game hunter, still is. Um, he's in his 80s now, so he's starting to slow down. But he's traveled all over North America hunting. And, and my dad uh, is a big hunter and bow hunter, which is what got me into bow hunting. Him and his friends were were bow hunters. So I, I grew up around it. We would hunt. Uh, I grew up in New York, and we'd hunt uh, the, up in the Catskills of upstate New York. Um, so I grew up you know, hunting and, uh, kind of growing up, I, I, I got really big into it and started, you know, as soon as I could legally hunt, I think I was like 12, 13 years old, uh, whenever that, that minimum age requirement was, I was in the woods. And then, uh, I remember taking hunter safety and all that. And then I took a little break in high school and college as, you know, most of us do, cause we're busy with school and whatnot and you don't get to hunt quite as much. And, you know, uh, you're, you're hunting, uh, other, other things. And then, uh, you know, after, after college, I got back into it when, uh, finally, you know, had a job that, you know, I could afford to take a little bit of time off, um, and just got real deep into it and, um, was just getting frustrated 
kind of being reliant on bow shops to to work on my bows and stuff really wanted to to learn myself and work on my own stuff and and that's how the page that's how coda really started is i just started the instagram page just to share like my journey like working on my own gear and like you know just share the mistakes and the lessons that that i made that way hopefully you know other people don't can avoid those mistakes and uh and uh, the page is, uh, it's kind of, um, you know, it's, it's grown since then, which is really cool because it's become like this, this little community. And uh, I think we're probably known for like the, the being like a, a gear porn kind of page. because We just take a lot of photos of, of cool uh, Gucci stuff. But, um, but yeah, that's how it really started. It was just, just sharing kind of that tuning journey. Yeah, that's, that's very cool. So I take you, you grew up hunting whitetails as well, huh? That was primarily what it was. We would, uh, I was a lacrosse player growing up. So, uh, turkey season always conflicted with, uh, with lacrosse season. Um, so we didn't get into that until I was older. So yeah, whitetail was, was the big thing up in New York. And then, uh, the last about 10 years, I'm 30 now, but about like the last 10 years and really in the last five years, we started getting a lot of black bear on their property. So that's become another big game for us to, to hunt up there on my family's property and i live in florida now so i hunt uh, i'll hunt hogs year round down here but whitetail are still and uh, and now black bear those are my two favorite things to to hunt and then you know turkeys in the spring are always fun to chase around yeah so i don't know how florida works but here in wisconsin you have to apply for a tag do you have to do that mm-hmm. in florida or uh, it depends. So like, uh, for private property, you can hunt hogs year round. Like there's no rules pretty much. Um, yeah. you know, it's just, they're uh, invasive species and whatever you got to do to get rid of them. And actually, uh, there's a lot of species like that down in South Florida too, because they're just coming over boats and stuff. You've got like iguanas and all sorts of lizards and stuff that you can hunt year round. Um, which is pretty cool. Like we'll go, we'll go shoot some iguanas with the bows in the off season, um, just to stay sharp um but uh like in between in between whitetail seasons but um yeah so hogs you don't have to apply for if you want to hunt wildlife management units uh the wmas you have to apply for those there's like uh there's certain limits to there and then there's some quota stuff uh but i haven't uh next year actually i'm planning on doing a whole lot more public land hunts here in florida um just to to kind of branch out in the state um, so yeah, so I'll be, uh, I'm actually exploring all of that myself cause I, I've been down here for a couple of years, but I've been hunting mostly private land. Okay. So what the hogs, what do you, what do you, do you do the same thing as you hunt for deer? Do you sit in the stand or do you just go off the ground? Uh, I'll do a mixture of things. It depends. So like, that's, that's the thing. Cause like, I'm, I'm not hunting, like, it's not, it's not my property. I'm hunting, you know, buddies properties or ranchers properties. So I don't always have control over like where stands are set up or how you can hunt over feeders here too. Um, you know, I don't always have control over like what, how their stands are set up and like bow hunters, we all have like a very specific way we want our stand set up. Right. And guys mm-hmm. that are gun hunters, they usually don't take the same kind of that are only gun hunters. They don't take the same kind of considerations into account. So sometimes I actually, I had a lot of luck just setting up. I would play the wind and down here in Florida, the vegetation's so thick. I could hide behind some palmetto bushes on the ground, you know, 40 yards away and just lob arrows into the feeders when they would come by. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely had a lot of luck doing that, but I, you know, being a bow hunter, you always want to be up in a tree. I mean, that's my preferred spot. 
is uh, if I can set up a stand in a tree, you know, 20 feet up, that's, that's where I feel most at home for sure. But I, uh, I don't have a problem setting up on the grounds. I hate ground blinds. I'll avoid I, like hunting's about the experience for me. And I just like, I know you got to get it done, but I just do not enjoy being in a ground blind. Um, you know, especially down here when it's freaking hot and you're just sweating like crazy. It's a sauna in there. So, uh, I try and, uh, try and stay out in the open if I can't get in the tree. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't like hunting out of ground blinds either. Neither nor do I like hunting in fields. I mean, I, don't get me wrong, hunting in fields can be really good sometimes, but me personally would prefer, like, more thicker of woods where I can't see as far, therefore, as, like, a field. Now, I don't know if you For like sure. hunting in fields or not, or... I mean, it depends like what you're hunting, right? Like whitetails, they're, they're edge animals, like in the thick stuff, you got to find their trails or you're hunting the edges where they're, they're like kind of like grazing around and get those in-betweens. Right. Um, so really, it really just depends. Like I'm not like i I've got to be in this type of area or this type of tree. I'm definitely finding like, as I get older and more experienced, like I used to, it was almost like an insecurity. Like you had to set up in spots where you thought you could see everything. And then I'm finding now that like, as I get more experienced, I'm more comfortable setting up in areas where like, maybe I don't have a dozen shooting lanes, but I know that I've got three or four really solid shooting lanes where there's their high percentage shots and it's a higher percentage that something's going to come through there. So I'm getting more and more comfortable hunting that thicker stuff for sure. Yeah. You take in consideration of like when and stuff, right? I take it too. So you go on different stands according to the wind. Yeah. I mean that, like, so this, this past year, it was nice because the, our property up in New York, you know, everyone was out of town. Um, so I went up there that first week in November and I brought my, uh, I brought my, my, um, my bolt on stand and, and some sticks and I set up, you know, I knew there were a couple of choke points where there were, there were deer trails that like nobody was really hunting those areas. There weren't stands in those areas. So I would set up in different trees, just depending on the wind. And I based everything off the wind. I think, you know, you could do as much as you want for scent control, but like you fart once and all that scent control just went out the window. So you know, you've got to play the wind. Yeah, I, I agree. To me, I don't think scent control really takes away all of the human scent. Like, I don't think there's no possible way you can get rid of all the human scent. Now, I don't know. Do you use anything? Do you spray yourself? I mean, I spray myself with scent control. And I think it does help just a little bit, but I don't think it completely gets rid of human scent. Yeah, what what I started doing, and uh, I mean, so far, like, it's hard to tell what really works and doesn't. But what I've started doing is uh, I'll, whatever clothes I can, because it eats up the uh, the elastic. But I'll I'll get like a, um, a plastic uh, bin, like a storage bin, and I throw all of my hunting clothes in there. Or I'll actually, I'll throw like a, it looks like a little puck. It's like a little Ozonics puck. Um, like a little, I think hunting made easy makes it. And it's just like a little rechargeable uh, ozone puck. I'll throw it in there, fill that bucket up with that ozone and then put all my clothes in there, recharge it, throw it in there again. And I leave that bucket just in my car and I, I don't take the clothes out of it until like I'm ready to hunt and set up in the morning. Uh, and then when I come home, like I'll do the same thing at night. Like I'll throw the puck back in there with my clothes. Um, if I'm not washing them and then like, before I go out, I might spray like dead downwind or something on, but I, I don't know how much that stuff really helps. Um, 
like I said, I mean, I think as soon as like you have your first piece of jerky or, or what coffee or any of that stuff, like you're immediately making sense. I know for me, I sweat a lot when I'm under stress. So like if, uh, if I have an encounter with a buck and maybe I don't get a shot off, I stink the rest of the day. So like, there's, there's just, <laughs> you know, there's, um, there's only, you know, I'm not bringing the bottle with me and showering in the stands. So th- there's only so much stuff you can, you can do. I think you've really got to play that wind. Um, and that's just the, the number one thing. Yeah. There's a, you know, I heard of many things. I heard of people putting dope on their boots and like walking her to stand, which actually my brother-in-law last year, I think that's how he killed his buck is, uh, which I think that works, but I only think it works during the rut when a doe or when a buck's looking for a doe, you know, and he's chasing the dope right up to the stand where you're at. For sure. Yeah. I I mean, I like, I found just with the guys that we hunt with and stuff like in that rut, like it's, it's almost like those bucks, it's just their time to die. Like they just make every mistake possible. But when you're hunting like early season in October and stuff, like you really got to have them patterned. Like you really got to go in and leave like as little trace as possible and, and not screw up their, you know, kind of their, their trails. But yeah, when it's like all bets are off in the rough rut, but I've definitely heard like that's if if you are going to use attractants and things like that, it seems like that's when it works. We I, I don't know. I, I've always had mixed results. Like it seems to work on younger deer, um, but I've I've never had luck with like a, a mature deer falling for that stuff. Uh, but I know also certain parts of the country they're all every they're different everywhere. So like there's no there's no laws necessarily with any of this stuff it's just like rattling right i know rattling works in you know iowa and some parts of the midwest but by us like it doesn't do anything the deer are all you know they're they're much smaller they're just not as aggressive as they are in other parts of the country yeah that's that's another thing like i was going to ask you so like during the rut like that and i was going to ask you if you rattle and it sounds like you don't but another thing is uh grunt calls do you use grunt calls at all like me personally once in a while i'll use them only during the rut though and i only let off like a couple bleats once or twice in the stand but other than that i won't really call other than the peak of the rut yeah the the bleats i've had smaller deer come into and does um so if we're like hunting does then uh yeah i'll use it the grunts, it's kind of like my last ditch effort. Like if there's like a buck that like I see, but he's out of bow range and he's not coming in my direction, I've yet to have it work, but I always have the grunt tube. Just at least I, I know that I've tried everything in my power to get him to come to me and it just wasn't his time to die. You know, it, it's more for me to satisfy my mental like obsession than anything else. Uh, but I haven't had luck with, uh, with grunt tubes bringing in, uh, bringing in bucks. Yeah, speaking of bull range, actually, what what's the farthest you would ever shoot on a deer? On a deer, I mean, it, like I question that constantly. I've I haven't taken a deer more than what's my furthest shot? Twenty yards, actually. Now that I think about it, I've never shot a deer more than twenty yards. I uh, I took a shot at at a deer uh, this year at thirty five. Um, I put my 30 yard pin. This was a deer actually that my dad had shot and he had ducked him last year. Uh, he hit no man's land, right? He just got fur. Um, mm-hmm. and we still had him on camera. And then he, uh, I was hunting him this year. He's a big, he's a, he's a big six pointer and, uh, we call him Nikki six. And, uh, 
and I had him at, at 35 yards and I put my, my sight was set to 30. I put my pin um, just over his heart, kind of like lower third figuring like if he's going to duck, he's going to go right into it. There's no way, you know, my arrow traveling at the speed it's traveling. He's, he's missing it. And he was super relaxed. He wasn't on edge at all. And he still ducked me and I hit no man's land too. So he's, we've got him on camera. He's missing two tufts of hair now. Um, and he, he lives to fight another year, but you know, I, those whitetails, I really, you know, I know there are guys that like, they'll take shots at 40, 50. And I just think it depends on the area and how jumpy they are and how pressured they are. Um, personally, like, I, I don't know that I would take a not in where we hunt in New York anyway. I I don't know if I would take that 40 yard shot. It, it just depends on the deer, but um, you know, that that's something that like um, on hogs I've shot out to 40, 50 yards, like no problem. Um, but whitetails are just, they're a different creature. And maybe that's just something that like, I've just got to get better at as a, as a bow hunter. But you know, if I can get them at 20 yards or right under the tree, that's of course where I think we'd all prefer them to be. Right. Yeah. So me personally, I would never take shot at 40. Yeah. Maybe if I saw a big buck and like my heart was beating, I would be thinking different, of course. But to me, I would only shoot maybe 35 yards, 30 yards and in. Actually, my buck I shot this year, I he sh- I shot him right underneath the stand. I pulled him back at, at 30 yards, and I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to take the shot because there's brush in front of his vitals. I was like, he has to take one more step and I have to stop him right there in the opening. And if I don't stop him there, then he then he's gone. But all of a sudden, he turned off of the does and came straight towards me, and I made like a – he was right underneath the stand. I mean, it was the closest shot I've ever made. Like, I thought I was going <laughs> to miss it because I don't – I don't shoot at deer that close usually, but it was pretty interesting. That was the biggest buck I've ever had close to me in person. That's awesome. And yeah, those steep angle shots can be tricky too. I hit, I hit nothing on uh, a doe this year. Um, it was just a super steep shot. Uh, the deer, the doe was just right under me and just the angle that she was at my arrow went right through, hit nothing important. Just like, I, I just kind of like skimmed through the side of her just the way that she was quartering uh, too slightly. And uh, yeah, like people don't take that into, I mean, uh, I screwed that up. And that was a shot that like I had, I've killed deer on angles that were very similar to that. So yeah, but I, uh, you know, I, like I know that we're going hunting with an outfitter next year in Ohio, a bunch of us. And um, you know, that the average shot out there is like 35, 40. And they said, you know, they, they've taken my, my uncle took a deer there last year Um and the, the deer there don't seem to duck on that property. They're just not pressured. They, they bow hunt only. They only bow hunt. Uh, they only hunt three or four weeks out of the year. Um, and they have a high uh, buck to doe ratio. So that the bucks don't feel that same level of pressure. So, you know, I'm, I'm practicing really hard for that um, because that's definitely the furthest shot I would, I would ever venture on, on taking on a whitetail. So we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Whitetail is kind of a, a different story compared to you know those bigger bigger animals so like an elk for ex- example like yeah you would take a 20 yard shot on an elk but the odds of you getting a shot on an elk yep. at 20 yards is very slim but they also have a lot bigger of a body so therefore it's a bigger yeah. target well yeah when, when the vitals are the size of a stop sign you got a little bit more to play with <laughs> yeah not that elk hunting's easier by any means but it is a there is something a little different that, uh, like, I, I don't know. I, I notice hunting out of a tree stand, like whitetail wise is different than like 
stocking up on like on hogs or something like that for whatever reason like when you're reacting to it i get a different sense of adrenaline than when i'm initiating the the engagement for whatever reason like my your mind seems to work differently yeah see yeah i've always hunted out of stand my whole life and you know once in a while like i do go gun hunting but I'm mainly a bow hunter, but when we do go gun hunting, you know, we make drives on the ground, of course, unless there's a stand like on our property that we know the deer would probably pass by, then we sit in it. But like, otherwise we always sit in a stand unless we're scouting like a night and we just decide there to sit there for the night just to see what walks by. Other than that, yeah. I've always hunted from a stand and yeah. So Anyways, what do you do in the off season? How many arrows do you put through your bow in a week? In a week varies. I definitely, um, it used to be more. I've started the last couple of years. Um, you know, I, I may only put a dozen arrows through, through my bow every day or every other day, but I try and make those arrows really intentional. Um, there was, there was a year, definitely if I get like, uh, whenever I get a new bow, I'll put, uh, I'll ramp that up because I'm getting, I'm trying to uh, build that muscle memory and, you know, relearn if let's say it's a, a this year, my bow's 33 inches. Typically I only shoot 30 inch uh, bows. So like trying to learn that muscle memory, it just took more reps for me to get used to like, I just coming to full draw and anchoring to the point where I was subconscious. Right. But then once I feel comfortable doing that, um, I'll, I'll lower the reps and I'll just be really intentional about going through my thought process, through my shot process, like setting myself up mentally and just focus on making every single arrow count versus just trying to get like a certain number of reps in. Um, that's, that's been working for me. Cause I find the, you know, I can shoot on, on, uh, on the flat range or I'll make sure to do a total archery challenge every year. And, um, I never have an issue there. For me, it's always the mental game um, in the woods. I can the the physical part of shooting is definitely uh, pretty ingrained at this point. Having done it a couple of you know putting hundreds of arrows in every week for for years on end, um, like I'm less concerned with that and definitely more focused on like okay, calm down my mental state, like get my heart rate down, be focused in the shot, especially at full draw, make sure everything's lined up and just send that arrow and, and just be that arrow all the way to the target. So probably I'd say um, probably about a dozen arrows every day, if not every other day, you know, minimum. Okay. Yeah. So also like when you do practice, I take you, you're on flat ground, of course. Do you ever take in consideration that you might have a different like feeling up in the stand? Do you think you would shoot a little different up in that elevated area? For sure. So we'll, uh, you know, Florida's flat, right? And that's where I live most of the year. So I don't really get to, to practice elevated shots too much. But, you know, we'll take, we'll shoot from the tops of trucks or, or swamp buggies or whatever to just practice those elevated shots. Um, and then, you know, I'll do a total, like I said, I'll do a total archery challenge every year because you're taking shots at all sorts of angles um, at distance too. So that like, that's always a really good like shakeout process for me to like, one like on my backpack and my bow and stuff like what gear it is just there for show and what stuff is actually usable right like what's what's going to be comfortable um you know on the bow all day and then um so that's always like a good shakeout process for me but yeah definitely 
practicing angles is so crucial. And, and one thing that I know I didn't take into account in the past, that's something I really focus on now is, you know, guys, when they, they shoot bows at, at the shop, when they, they're like looking for a new bow, say everybody blank bells with like a whisker biscuit on or, you know, whatever the shop has on the bow and they shoot at, you know, they basically blank bell at five yards, but not a lot of guys, you know, practice pulling that bow and keeping it anchored at different angles. So, you know, not every bow is consistent throughout their valley at different angles. Some bows want to pull the string away from you and you don't really realize that until you start aiming down or up or something like that. Um, so that's something that I take into account, not only when I'm practicing, but also when I'm looking at new bows and, and uh, you know, how deep is that valley and, and am I going to be comfortable in a stand at awkward angles? Like my, my buck this year that I shot, I was leaned out uh, behind the, the buck was behind the tree that I was in. So I was actually leaned out from around the, the tree, like kind of like uh, bent at the, the hips. Um, so it was a little bit of a, an odd, um, odd shooting form, but the shot ended up being perfect. But, uh, you know, if, if I had a, a more aggressive cam, then it might, you know, it might've wanted to pull that string away. I might not have been able to get the shot off. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, it's a big thing. Like to me, I've always shot on top of Hills, you know, mm -hmm. I've always practiced from angles and, you know, one thing that I really wish I would do more is, shoot my bow sitting down like yeah don't get me wrong most of the time when i'm in the stand I, i'm usually standing the whole time or anything but like say if i was sitting down and a big buck all of a sudden pops up you know you don't want to move keep moving all the time where that buck's going to see you get up and like grab your bow and everything like you want to be ready so that's something i definitely need to do more is practice shooting uh sitting down well, uh, yeah, those angles are also crucial when you're when you're strapped onto a tree and there's a deer behind you. You got to twist your body and shoot that way. So, yeah, that's a big thing. Absolutely. So, uh, yes, uh, those questions really went by fast. I should have wrote more. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I guess basically, what what grain broadhead do you use? Um, so I've been using, uh, this year, it all depends on the arrow. Uh, this year I used, um, so I, I was running the, the, uh, Easton Bowhunter 6.5s, um, and, uh, those have, uh, they come standard with a 23 grain insert. Uh, it's a collared insert. And I found those arrows, uh, with, uh, 125 grain points worked really, really well. Um, so I shoot sever broadheads. They just, you know, they're, they're good, reliable, consistent mechanical broadhead that like, I don't have to think of a lot about. They're really consistent throughout their lineup. So, um, you know, I don't have to worry about tuning them. Um, and they live in, they leave a nice big entry hole. You definitely sacrifice some penetration with, uh, with the mechanical heads, but I just found, I mean, I'm shooting a, a pretty fast bow, so I haven't had any issues with penetration, especially considering I'm only hunting whitetails. So, um, but I like general rule of thumb somewhere between like 150, 175 grains of point weight up front. Um, I, I just find that that groups really, really well for me. Uh, and I practice out at, at distances like a hundred, 120, but you know, we talked about the hunting distances are nowhere near that, but it just gives me that confidence, like in the wind or in, uh, in less than ideal conditions that I can make those hunting distance shots. 
Yeah. So I, uh, do you, I'm taking you practice, like you said, you practice a lot and I practice too at those far distances, but do you practice with like practice broadheads? Do you use the same broadheads or do you use like practice broadhead? Yeah. So that was one of the things that sold me on those severs. So what's funny is I, I started the, I started Coda around the same time Sever was getting started up. And Sever is actually a subsidiary company of Easton. So Easton owns Sever. Um, and one of the things that really attracted to me to that broadhead was that it had a practice mode. So the, the way that, if you haven't seen what the heads look like, uh, they have like little deployment wings and the blades are hidden in the ferrule. And then they have a hole through the middle of the ferrule. So each, all the heads come with a little set screw so you can just drop that set screw in and that keeps the blades from deploying. So it's, it puts the head into a practice mode and I'll keep like two or three of those. Um, and uh, I, I shoot for sever. So I, I have a whole bunch of sever heads, but I'll keep two or three of those in practice mode at all times. Um, and I practice with those regularly. Like I'll, I'll throw one of those into a target followed by my field points. Um, but I practice with those at distance uh, and they hit just, the, I, my left and rights are consistent. They hit just maybe a half inch lower than my field points, which is exactly what I want for hunting anyway. So um, I, I like practicing with, uh, with what I hunt with. And the, that's the other thing that I like about the severs is their, you know, their quality control is really good. So I don't have to worry about like some heads. You, when you get them out of a package, you have to test them all because they don't all spin right. I've never had issues with them. So you know, I've always been able to literally just take them out of the, the little boxes that they come in, screw them on, and I'm, I'm ready to go. Yeah. Yeah, Broad, broadheads is definitely a hot topic to me in the hot, or hunting world. I think people can go on and on about them. So, like, to me, for me this year, I shot the uh, QAD mm -hmm. something. But uh, uh, what was, was it? it? Before that, I shot the Muzzy. What was that? Was it the Exodus? Yeah, the Exodus. That's it. Yep, yep, yep. And I, I loved him, and I, I shot a deer with him this year, like I said, and he was right underneath me. And I wasn't really impressed at first the way it did, but then when I found the deer, it looked like a pretty big hole, but I'm surprised the deer shot even ran that far. It ran maybe 300, 400 yards with no lungs, so he had a pretty good running him but i didn't see as much blood as i was expecting then again yeah. i wasn't hunting on like a very like stiff ground it was very marshy and watery so i guess i can't really say much about like blood and stuff but yeah. it's definitely worth one more year in my opinion because yeah. i only shot one deer with it but yeah well and i think that's the thing too like there's you know i think like having now like spoken to so like one of the cool things about the page is like I, I get to talk to engineers from companies and like understand like why they designed certain things the way they did um and like one of the things that i've realized like also getting to like talk to literally thousands of people around the country and around the world that hunt and like what they find is because you find that like if just because you had one experience like weird stuff happens when you bow hunt like my deer that, that i killed this year i hit him through the heart, took out all the arteries in front of his heart. It was a hard quarter and away shot. And he ran uphill, maybe two, 300 yards, like up and over a, a hill. Like, and, and the thing was, the, I mean, he died within a couple of minutes. And like, but he still, he had a massive entry wound. 
and still was able to do that. Like, so you could blame the, I, I don't know, like at, what more do you want from that? And then like, there's like, I know I've done the same thing and it goes 30 yards. And I, I know guys that, you know, they've, they've made perfect shots through the heart and the deer doesn't go anywhere. And then other guys will make shots through the heart and it'll go, you know, sometimes as much as like a hundred, 200 yards before the thing finally bleeds out. And you have all different variations of like blood trails and whatnot. So, you know, I think like you, you know, the weird stuff happens. It just, (laughs) you got to find a head that you're confident in um, and works for what you're doing and your setup. Like if if you're a lower pounded shooter or you're shooting a slower bow, um, you know, or or not as, as, uh, as, or a super light arrow, you probably don't want a mechanical head because you're going to sacrifice penetration because it takes energy for those blades to open. But, you know, I think uh, you get a little, some, some people get a little too wrapped up in like, or too attached to, to what heads they run, um, you know, and, and weird stuff just happens sometimes, man. Yeah. I mean, see, I always, I've always been scared of walking up on a deer when he's not fully dead and getting up from like, if say if he was shot, but he was bad shot and he would have died if I never tracked him right away. Yeah. So like, say I'm always scared of that. But like, so like me personally, I like to give him, you know, maybe an hour or so before mm-hmm. I even go out. So I do I the same know, thing. How does that, yeah. How does that work for you though? Like in Florida, you know, it's like warmer obviously than up here in Wisconsin, like here in yeah. Wisconsin, we don't have to worry about like me getting like bad just because it's not as warm. Like it's usually freezing most nights in November. So it's like, sure. what do you do? Do you like think about the meat at all? Like, do you ever leave a deer overnight? Definitely. I mean, like, definitely think about the meat, like for sure. I mean, our, my person, my personal rule of thumb is if I don't see the deer go down, like if I, if it's not in eyesight, I give them an hour because if I bump them and they run and then I never find them, that doesn't do anything for the meat either, especially you know, here in Florida. And that's always the scary thing down here in Florida. And that's one of the reasons I like the mechanicals is because I want that big wound that bleeds a lot because the ground is so wet here and it's so watery that it's re- it makes blood tracking really difficult um, just because there's so many colors to begin with. Um, trying to, to find a blood trail, if it's not like painfully apparent, uh, is just a nightmare. So, um, you know, whether it's, it's Florida or New York or the Midwest or anywhere else that I'm hunting, you know, if I don't see the deer go down, I I'll give them an hour. Uh, and then, you know, I, I want to get down. I want to find that arrow. I want to see what the blood looks like on that arrow. And then maybe depending on what the blood looks like on that arrow, I'll determine like if I give them more time or not, or how, how, what the blood looks like on the blood trail too. Like if it's, you know, if it's that deep red arterial blood or if there's, there's bubbles in it, then yeah, I'll keep on that, that trail. If not, you know, then maybe I'll, I'll wait a little bit, um, and give them some more time. But that's always my biggest fear is that, uh, I don't want to bump them, but I definitely don't want that, that meat to go bad. Um, you know, I let my deer sit for maybe two hours. This, the, the one that I shot that went up and over the hill, um, which ended up being way too long, but just the amount of energy that he had, I thought maybe something weird had happened. Maybe the arrow deflected off of a rib, you know, and missed those vitals or something like that. I just wasn't sure. So I gave him a little bit more time and it, it ended up working out, but he was already rigged when, when we found him. Um, 
So yeah, I mean, that's, that's been my general rule of thumb. Um, and most of the guys that I hunt with are the same way. Uh, I, I just know too many horror stories of guys getting down and looking too quick and bumping deer and then just never finding them. Yeah. Yeah. So like, do you like, okay, don't get me wrong. I know like if you shoot a deer in the guts, it would be, a, it would be a dead deer. But like, I definitely think that millions upon millions of deer get shot every year, but aren't found. Like, so especially with the bow, like, say if you shoot a deer in the guts, it's not going to bleed a lot. You're not going to have a lot of um, blood and stuff. Like, yeah, I'm sure you're going to have a little bit of blood and some other tissue and stuff. But, like, it's always something you have to keep in mind that that deer is probably dead. But, yeah, it's just a matter of looking. And to me, it's like I'm going to look for, like, you know, a week every day going out there and, like, scouting around. Even if I lost blood trails. I would just go, I've never lost a deer to date, but if I ever did, you know, I would, I would grind and search as much as I possibly can. Dude, lucky you, man. <laughs> I mean, I lost, yeah, I lost a doe this year. We were urban hunting. Uh, we were urban hunting in on Long Island and uh, up in New York. And it was one of those things where like you're hunting suburbs, right? So like we, you know, bad shot on, on that doe, steep angle, hit nothing, you know, had just some, some decent blood, but nothing, you, you could tell it wasn't like anything crazy. So we were hoping to find her bedded down, but she started going through people's backyards and, and you're talking about, you know, we would have had to knock on hundreds of people's backyards to find her. And we drove around and, you know, we looked around and there was just no sign and the trail just dried up and, you know, we couldn't find anything. And we, we had to eventually just give up. There's such an overpopulation of deer in that area that I think, uh, you know, nobody would have been to uh, upset about it. They're, they're, uh, almost, uh, an invasive species at this point. But for me, like as somebody who loves, you know, loves those animals and wants to make sure that like, I'm as ethical as possible. That was a, a huge, you know, punch to, to my gut to, to do that and to fail like that. Um, you know, and it's one of those things that like, as a bow hunter, you gotta just eat it and carry that lesson with you and just not make that same mistake again like that's that's the only thing you can do but you know everybody's got a different threshold and every situation is going to be different and um you know my we, we almost gave up tracking my bear it was a weird thing this year like it took us three hours we ended up finding them but it was the blood trail wasn't great he was he was dead um but it just wasn't uh you know if, if he didn't pass a tree there wasn't like a real blood trail but every tree that he passed looked like someone hit it with a paintbrush and then at one point it's just totally dried up it was like he disappeared like someone just picked him up and took him somewhere and luckily we started just doing circles and we found a pile of pile of his crap and some drops of blood and then he went through some thick stuff that you would have never thought a, a bear or anything else would but a squirrel would have been able to fit through and he just went right through the middle of it um but if, if it hadn't been for that you know we, we might have called it but I, I you know i'm with you i'd i'd uh i'd keep looking um, you know, I know some guys that they have people in the area that they can call that can use dogs. Um, but for like, for me, I want to do everything I possibly can to find that animal and, and recover that meat. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, man, I don't know what to ask anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I'm only 16 and the point of these podcasts 
is for me to just – I just want to be the best owner I can possibly be. I want to, you know, make those those most – like those just perfect shots that just punches them and they don't go far and they don't feel as much for pain. Sure. And the point – like like I said, the point of these podcasts are just, just to make myself a better hunter, just to gather all this information from all these other hunters out there, just to see what they have to say about different things and just to make – not me, but like you and everyone else listening to be a better hunter, to be the best hunter they could possibly be. Well, that's awesome. I mean, dude, you're going about it the right way. That's for sure. And, uh, you know, props for you for getting on creating this podcast so soon. I'm sure it's a valuable resource and, um, you know, your questions have been great. I I love just talking gear and bow hunting. So, you know, this has been awesome and, uh, you know, wish you nothing but the best of luck. You're doing an awesome, awesome job. What do you, uh, you know, you mind if I ask you a gear question? Do you uh, do you bring binos with you into the woods when you're bow hunting at all? Uh, I actually didn't really do it a lot until this year. This year, I got some binoculars and I, I really started doing it. And then once I did, I was like, "Oh man, I love this. This is awesome." And actually, I already shot my buck, so basically, I was just sitting out in the woods, you know, watching does, and. I uh I had this really cool encounter. It was probably it was a really really nice buck, and I brought up my binoculars, and you could see it real real good. And that's when I realized I was like, oh, I should do this more often. But I always every time I go bow hunting, I obviously always bring a rangefinder with me. Yeah, yeah, that's so. uh I started bringing binos with me whitetail hunting uh, last year, and then since I started, I'll never not bring them with me. I think there's there's such a like critical tool it's become like my new favorite thing it makes the time go by quicker i see way more deer i'm able to like figure out their patterns and some trails that maybe i wouldn't have seen before like that's been my biggest uh my biggest thing like telling people too because like i know a lot of guys that they won't bring it because they just pretend like if it's not in bow range they don't even want to know about it but i think you really like you you shortchange yourself because you could have another stand maybe 200 yards away that you could set up that might be on a trail that would work in a different wind situation, you know, or something like that. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, I always ask people that cause I'm always uh, interested to, to see cause people have different takes on that. Yeah. I, yeah. Ever since I went to him, I, I loved him, And you know, that's one of those things where you, like you were saying, like, if they're not in bow range, I don't want to know about them. But to me, it's like, I do want to know about them because I know it would make me want to sit longer even. It would make me want to sit longer yeah. throughout the day just because, like, yep. I know there's deer moving still. Like, what happens if one comes by? So, you know, that's always my thought. Like, if I'm not in the woods when there's a big buck, you know, right underneath my stand. It's like the more you're out in the woods, you know, the better chances of that, that you have, of course. For sure. For sure. Yeah, I just want to. I also want to say, just keep up, keep up the good work. I've seen your YouTube videos, that Nexus video. I've watched that. I there's not a lot of videos on that bow, but I'm really looking at the bow. So I've just been trying to gather as much information as I possibly can about it. So I really appreciate that. So just keep doing what you're doing. Thanks, check out yeah definitely i mean i i would i'm partial right i love my pscs and and i've been making some content for them but you know i tell everybody like try every bow like just just get your hands on every bow and figure out what style you like and 
Um, cause they're all so good these days. Like you're really, you're cutting hairs to figure out which one's uh, best for you. And it's, uh, you know, it's, I'm almost, uh, happy. I don't have to necessarily make that choice, um, you know, all the time. So it's, uh, it's, uh, they're all really, really good. Yeah. Like I, I'm not worried about speed or anything. I'm just worried about what feels best, what I shoot the best with, you know, stuff like that. For sure. The speed on the bows today are just, they're incredible. They're insane. Yep, yep. So, yeah, just thanks for having you. Yeah, Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate it. It's been awesome to be on. Yeah, I I really appreciate it. It was very, very good for me. I feel like I learned quite a bit, actually. So. Well, thanks, man. Keep doing what you're doing, man. You're killing it. Yeah, you too. All right, guys, go check them out on uh, Instagram. Knights of the Apex. He's doing a very good job. Be sure to check out me as well, kingoutdoor.s. All right, have a good day, AJ. All right, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. And I just want to say again, the point of these podcasts is just just to make yourself a better hunter, just to learn what other hunters do. And that's that's kind of the point of why I'm making the podcast is just for my own good and like for you guys, of course. So go ahead and check out AJ Knights of the Apex on Instagram. He's a very good hunter, and I appreciate having him. So have a good day and peace.